What is up, good people? It's me, Brandon T. Maxwell, and today, Katie, Sam, and I are continuing our month-long celebration of Mental Health Awareness Month. Today's episode is part one of a two-part series within the series on Black horror films and television shows, and the way that those shows attempt to mirror back to us the traumas Black folks experience on a daily, hourly, minutely basis. In today's episode, you'll hear our reactions to the new Amazon Prime original series, Them. Next week, we'll share part two of this conversation. And the week after that, Returning our attention to what's going on in Israel and Palestine, we are trying to figure out a way to link it to Mental Health Awareness Month, and certainly there are mental health implications to what's happening there, but we're also not going to force that conversation in that way because at the end of the day, it's far too important for us not to discuss on this podcast. As always, if you've got things you want us to discuss, email holyshit at theolabmedia.com. For now, let's get into today's conversation. But before we do, how about a few church announcements? Good morning, good morning, and welcome back to the church. Welcome back to the holy shit pod. What is this? This is a new... (laughs) I don't know what I'm saying. You was about to say the church of holy shit, I think. I think so. The Church of Holy Shit in the Temple of All the Saints and the Aints. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will, we shall rejoice and be glad in it. What's going on, KT? Doing great. Doing great. (laughs) Katie, you're not very convincing. It's just not. It's not. Doing great. Doing great. Like she's ready to stab somebody or something. Are you ready to stab me, Katie? (laughs) You told me I was your favorite. I know she ain't said that shit. She said it. Yeah. When? Katie, don't do me. Were you dreaming? Katie. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I'm good too. I'm all right. I'm doing good. I was waiting, but she was stirring up shit. Sam, how are you? And and your lips. You love putting on some Carmex right when you get on here. My lipstick is not Carmex. I don't do Carmex. This is Burt's Bees. Hello? She to buy some Burt's. We don't do Carmex in this household. It'll make your lips fall off. But if you black, you do comments. <laughs> oh, and you do the little tin, you got to put your finger in there. Mm-mm. Burt's Bees only. Oh, yeah. And my lips mm-hmm. be so dry. Whew. I didn't know that they had the Carmex where you put your hand in, like, in your lifetime. That's what you mean. You didn't, that's the only Carmex. No, they don't. They have other stuff now. No, I know that. But that's the only Carmex. Anyway. Welcome back to the Holy Shit Pod. We are so grateful that you are here with us today and listening once again. Today, we are continuing the month-long celebration of Mental Health Awareness Month. Hopefully, you've enjoyed the journey so far. And today's conversation is dedicated to talking about my favorite topic, Black people and the traumas we endure in America. We're going to look at that experience through the lens of a new TV show on Amazon Prime called Them. If you haven't seen it yet, there will likely be spoilers in this episode. So I would just say, listen to the next few minutes and then check back in once you've watched the series because we're going to do church announcements first because there's a lot happening in the world. Last week, we gave a nod to Atlanta Mayor, Prophetess, Prelate, Bishop, Prophetess, because you got to be Prophetess if you're in the church of God in Christ. Keisha Lance Bottoms, she said she will not run 
to serve as Atlanta's mayor for a second term. I think this came as a shock to me. What about y'all? Definitely was a shock to me. In some ways, I know that she was offered like the the ambassador uh, of the Bahamas or something in the Biden administration, and she decided to stay <laughs> as the. As, don't laugh. Don't 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 denigrate the Bahamas. Don't laugh I'm at not, the Bahamas. But like you don't. said, that like she got to be offered to, like something for real, for real. You can be the ambassador to the Bahamas. What? She was like, nah, I think there's more people in Atlanta. She was like, nah, I'm almost, I'm going to stick with my current job. Uh, so my question is, what's behind it, right? Is there, did, did Biden wake up and say, actually, we're going to offer her something else? Is it like you said, well, is it more of kind of like, I ain't got to put up with this BS. This is crazy. I need my mental health to be intact. Like, I, I wonder what's going on. So that's, that's where I am right now. What's, what's the tea? And I know Brandon got it. Because she didn't spill any tea. She didn't. I, I was shocked. And when you asked me to watch the video and you sent the whole video, I mean, I was amazed by the video and that power of it. And I was thinking, wow, she's really strong. Like one idea is that she realized this is too much shit to to engage in. But like, she was being considered for vice right. president, right? That wasn't real. Whether we think it was real or not. I mean, is she like tanking? Is she bombing, completely failing as the mayor of Atlanta? So here's the tea. So since Keisha Lance Bottoms was elected, there's been a new campaign for Buckhead to become another incorporated city. Correct. So Buckhead's trying to pull out of being... Racism. I'm sorry, go ahead. Absolutely. It's racism. Like Absolutely. White people with a lot of money yep. are like, we don't want to be affiliated with Atlanta. We want to become our own city. And so much of Atlanta's sort of tax revenue from sales taxes, like it comes from Buckhead. That's where all the shopping is. That's where a lot of the fancy restaurants are. And so my assumption is, I think Mary Norwood, who was her competitor in the last election, lives in Buckhead and represents that constituency. And so I'm not certain of what the dynamics are, but I do know that as the things intensify around Buckhead becoming its own incorporated city, this announcement also came around the same time. Hmm. But that may not be it at all, because I think there's also the possibility that somebody offered that woman a check. I think there's more to it. Like somebody probably said, girl, you don't need to be the man for this little measly salary. Like, come over here and work for us. Go ahead and give us a few kickbacks on your last year. Give us a few government contracts, and then we'll make you the some made-up position and give you a fat check. So if you're ambitious and she's already charted kind of a political future for herself, it may not serve her at all to be a two-term mayor in Atlanta. Maybe she's done the thing that she needs to do to move her to the next stage of her own plan. You see what I'm saying? Like, not everybody needs to serve two terms. Maybe she's like, oh, I did that. I'm, you know, that, that helps me get to this next place. And maybe she's ready to go. I don't know why she wouldn't say what's next if there is something that's next, unless she did want to have kickbacks. But, like, can somebody be a politician and be a good, solid human? I can't believe that I'm even suggesting that's possible, but I, I don't think it's possible, but— Wait, you said it's not possible for somebody to be a politician and a good human? What about why not? You 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 judging him because he ran over that woman's foot? You're not going to do this today, Samuel Lee White III. Well, we going to do it, and you better leave it in. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> you going to stop talking about Raphael. <laughs> he did hit her foot, though, real hard. So, Katie, you need to answer to this. You, made a, you said people can't be politicians and good humans. I want to know why you think that. 
I think that it's a very difficult job to be a politician. I think that you have to play games for the sake of money. I think that you could be a, a solid human and be a politician. I just I just think that you see that more at the local level than you do in the national level. And I think people in national politics generally lack integrity and are seeking their own personal gain and really not looking out for the people they're representing or looking out for the country in general. I, and again, most of them. It would be incorrect of me to say all of them are like this. Um I think I think there's something next. I think if it wasn't she would have came and said, you know, she would have said we me and my husband just focusing on our family and that's it. I mean, she said something like that, but um there's definitely something next. Well, Mayor Bottoms, we wish you well on whatever your next step is. We would love it if you would come on the Holy Shit Pod and spill a little tea if you got it. We don't mind a little tea. We know how to sip with our pinkies out in the air. And you'll hear it here first when Mayor Bottoms comes and shares her next plan. You know what it's going to be, y'all? I know what it is. She's going to be our next co-host. In other news, last week the news broke that NBC will not air the Golden Globes telecast next year. The statement came out last Monday, and it's because there wasn't enough diversity in the lineup. So I'm just trying to figure out how we get to 2022, and this is the first time y'all are saying that there ain't enough diversity in the Golden Globes. Is this a new reality? Fascinating. I, I don't watch the Golden Globes, so I'm going to go ahead and look them up real quick. <laughs> you don't watch the Golden Globes? <laughs> I actually just saw that article as well, and I, I don't know what my reaction was. It was kind of like, uh, not shocked. You know, oh, uh, like you say, Brandon, I'm not shocked that there's not enough diversity. Maybe I should be a little shocked that NBC is just now deciding to recognize that there's not enough diversity. Maybe I should be shocked at that, but I'm not. Mm -mm. <laughs> but you know who's going to pick it up, don't you? Fox, Fox no. News. Oh, my bad, my bad. I was so wrong. It's a BET. That's a decent guess, but the inverse of BET. Fox News. Oh, my goodness. Tyler Perry got up there sounding like Medea talking about diversity and joining him in the middle with that mediocre speech, but that wasn't the Golden Globes. Wait a minute. I'm, so I'm reading this article right now. There is nobody in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Not one. Not one black person in the 90 voting members. What kind of ridiculousness is that? There's no one black in the Hollywood foreign press. No, not one. No, not one. No voting members who are persons looking like my skin tone. No, not one. <laughs> <laughs> How are you in such a good mood today? What is it? What, what happened? The Holy Spirits. Mm, okay. I believe you. Spirits. Oh, I saw. I saw. My bad. I saw. That's definitely going in the video. No shame in my game, folks. I said I'm not shocked. Like, it's it's white gone white. I'm going to put that on your tombstone because you, I know you two put me over your funeral arrangements. I'm going to put, Sam, here lies Samuel Lee White, whose famous first and last words were, White gone white. No, say, here, here lies Samuel White, who believed in his heart that no matter what the situation... White gone white. White gone white. My, that's the truth of it all. Anything else out there? This is a day where we need more announcements from the, the sanctuary. Anybody got extra announcements? Y'all didn't submit the announcements this week. I know that we are just now coming back into worshiping in person. I know that we are socially distanced and you've become used to submitting your announcements via the pandemic protocols. But now that we have resumed in-person mm -hmm. worship, even though half of you still don't have the vaccine, um, I think that our announcements are a little light. <laughs> is there another announcement from the sanctuary? Well, speaking of the vaccine, the U 
youth ministry wants to say that their middle schoolers oh, are about snap. to um, embark on getting the COVID-19 vaccine. We're holding off right now, waiting for the FDA to give it emergency oh, use. Wow. Um, have y'all heard about this? Like there's some some states are allowing pre-registration for people under the age of 15. I know uh, my daughter has some friends who are able to pre-register at their doctor's office, but we hmm. are not able to do that. But there's some polls out there showing that only 25% of parents are willing to get their 12 to 15-year-olds vaccinated right now. Even if they themselves are vaccinated, they're not interested in getting their children vaccinated which I find to be anathema. I mean, I don't know. I think because it has been rolled out so quickly, I'm not certain how long they've been testing these vaccines on children under the age of 16. They haven't. But I think at this particular juncture, if I were a parent, seeing that a lot of children have not died from the pandemic, I might press the pause button as well. This seems like it may be a little quick. That's interesting. I mean, I will say that I'm I'm one of those people that likes vaccines. I'm not... a a big fan of, like, dying of things that can be prevented. But, um, (laughs) I mean, this vaccine is shown to be 100% effective in the 12 to 15-year-olds. Like, the most compelling thing for me, or the thing that makes me pause, although we're going to get the vaccine, is some folks have written that, that we should be prioritizing adults either here or in other countries where they don't have vaccines available instead of children here in the U.S. While that may be a good idea for even younger, I'm trying to figure out if my if my child were 10, if I would say I would not get a, I would still get a vaccine. For me, like right now, my statement is COVID's still worse than any side effects that, that the vaccine could have. And so, um, I don't want her to get that. I mean, there's more there's more kids dying of it or having severe complications than they're talking about. And so for us, that's why that makes sense. I mean, I hear that. And I guess from a communal perspective, I'm all for the kids being vaccinated. Like parents, take your kid to the doctor, get the needle, tighten up the arm, you know, tap it real good so you can see the veins, pop that little needle in there. Are we talking about... Are we talking about vaccination? <laughs> or are we talking about... You don't about... do that with vaccines, Brandon. <laughs> That's how they did mine. I don't think you got a vaccine, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're not fully vaccinated no, after that, all. That'd be a silly it's the, did you just have that this morning when you were feeling good? <laughs> mm-hmm. It was just today when I got it. But anyway, but I think from that perspective, like we won't reach herd immunity without these young people being vaccinated. Because I mean, right. whether that be by children getting COVID-19 or being vaccinated, it's essential that these kids either get COVID or get vaccinated so that we can get to a place where there's less fear around going outside without a mask. Absolutely. Right. Or, I mean, because these kids are going back to school in the fall, there's no way they're going to still do online education the way it is now. I mean, kids are going to be in the classrooms. People are going to be moving around from class to class with with elementary school kids, I get it. They're in the same room. They can create this little pod. But middle schoolers and high schoolers, they encounter maybe 120 different folks a day. That's not safe for the teachers. And let me tell you, don't nobody carry germs like kids. Let me tell you. That's for sure. Kids and babies will make you sick almost every day of the week. And I'm, I mean, I mean, I love kids. Don't get me wrong. But they, they're incubators for germs and virus and all of that other stuff. And so... Yep. Yep. 
one time I made the mistake of holding a white baby because like I picked the little baby up and my family has always said you don't need to pick up white babies because people be looking at you know black folks crazy when you be holding white children because they already think that black people are dangerous like it's safest just not to pick up the white children but I did it anyway and I feel like this child was already a racist because she took her hand and somehow it made it into my mouth. And I said, you were trying to kill me because <laughs> I know you just finished <laughs> licking on your toes and rubbing all over the floor. And how did you get your hand in my mouth so quickly? When I tell you I nearly dropped that baby, don't you put your racism in my mouth. How you going to drop the baby? Oh, my God. I, I, I set her down gently. How did she put her hand in my mouth? It came out of nowhere. But they carry germs. And I t- when I tell you no more than 12 hours later, I felt like I had pneumonias. You probably did. I'm telling you, babies, if you want to get sick, be around kids. When when I'm trying to stay healthy and my friends who have little kids or babies be like, oh, you should come over and hang out. I'm like, Mm-mm. you need Mm-mm. to get rid of that child. If you get rid of the child, I'll come over and hang out. But you're not going to make me sick. But if you have them around, then your immune system actually gets better. That's what they want you to believe. That's just because you also nasty. Wow. In other news, <laughs> Katie been, na- been nasty for the last fourteen years. In other, in other news, the pastors' aid committee <laughs> wants to announce that that you all should disregard the disgruntled uh, statements from the pastor emeritus, Pastor Emeritus Donald J. Trump. <laughs> Who who has <laughs> spoken out about the Kentucky Derby winner and said that the horse is a junkie and that this is what's happening to our country? The horse was the horse black. The probably most likely it was a brown horse. It was a it was a brown See? horse. And so uh, the whole world, he said, is laughing at us as we go to hell on our borders. I don't understand what the horse and the Kentucky Derby has to do with the borders, but uh, he says on our borders, our fake presidential election and everywhere else signed Pastor Emeritus Donald J. Trump. (laughs) What is wrong with him? Listen... Yo, yo. Have y'all seen his little fake social media site when he no. claimed he got his own personal Twitter on the website that you can't interact with? No. I have not. I have not. No. I need to go check this out. It's a mess. It is basically a blog formatted as tweet, tweet, tweeters, tweet, tweets. Like, when are we going to take the microphone away? Like, Facebook, keep him off. Twitter, keep him off. Instagram, keep him off. And take away his internet privileges. Like, give him a stone tablet and a chisel. And that should be the only way he'd be permitted to, like, communicate with the world with his tiny hands. Like, do not let him do things on the internet. But I'm also trying to figure out why it's making national news that the president is tweeting about the Kentucky Derby. Of all of the things happening in the world, this is what we're going to choose to... He can't well, tweet. <laughs> what is it called? What, what is he doing? What does he do? Blogging. Blogging. Like short uh, blogging. He's short, concise blogs. Has YouTube kicked him off too? Like why doesn't he open up and a YouTube And I think channel? they said he misspelled junkie. <laughs> Not surprising. Not surprising. Leave that man alone and let <laughs> He did. It's J-U-N-K-Y. <laughs> Only a junkie would misspell junkie. My God. <laughs> Y'all, I can't make this up. This is so hilarious. <laughs> How was this man our president? Speaking of junkies, this should show you the evil of white people. 
this is show you that sure. that that black people have to reach and maintain impossible standards to be a damn bus driver, right? Um, and white folks will elevate to the highest office in the country, possibly someone to even consider the world, somebody who cannot string together an articulate sentence or spell a, a word like junkie. And this person was the president for four years and may become the president again. I don't think he's going to run again. I think it's financially not smart for him to do so. He's probably making so much money now that he like doesn't want to give it up. And I really wish somebody would just lock this man up. Lock him up. Lock him up. Lock him up. <laughs> he's making tons of money and he doesn't even have to work. I mean, he gets all kinds of money from the government. He gets all this travel stuff. He doesn't have to do a damn thing. But that's the thing. He, he took a hit four years ago to become president. And y'all are saying like he's killing it, making crazy money right now. Who's to say that he won't decide to take another hit? Because, I mean, he can, he can afford to take the hit for four years, right? It's not like he's going to declare bankruptcy. Uh-oh. <laughs> Sam's going to bet that Donald Trump is on the ticket next year too. You're going to be out thousand dollars when this is all over. Uh, there's going to be a there's going to be a Trump who tries to become president uh, in 2024. Uh, if it's Donald or Donald Jr. or Ivanka, there will be a Trump that's trying to become president. So here's where I'll meet you halfway. I think that what's going to happen is we're going to have a Trump who runs for president, but they will have a strategy deployed to ensure that they are never elected or nominated to be the front runner. They just want the media attention temporarily so that they can keep piling America's money in their pockets. I don't agree with that for Donald Jr. I think he wants to be president. This is the most narcissistic thing I've ever seen from the desk of Donald J. Trump. Like, it is literally him. There's no one interacting with him. <laughs> like, there's no ability to retweet or redesk what he says, I redesk. guess. Let's redesk. Like, you can, <laughs> you can press heart, but it doesn't give you a count. It's just a heart. It's just red now instead of blue. He's building, he's building his base. When you, when you look at the level of control that Trump has on the Republican base, um, there's no way that somebody— I, I think somebody is trying to hold office— at some level in 2024. I believe it. Well, we'll see. This is fascinating. I mean, the pictures on here are fascinating. I mean, we don't need to spend that much time on him, but he's got his fist up in the about section. It's all all about Jesus and Judeo-Christian and God being the first and foremost and him talking to military people. It's like he actually did something. Two Corinthians. I will say that this website, I think, is tracking you. I was curious what happened if you pressed the like button, the little heart, and it does remember you. I've just closed the window and come back again, and my heart is still red where I pressed the little red heart button. So maybe they, they already think I'm a Republican. <laughs> um, in other news, uh, what do y'all think about Liz Cheney being thrown out of the leadership of the Republican Party? I try not to think about the Republicans too much. <laughs> I feel like that could be your auntie, Katie. So tell me, what do you think about it? You know, there. so somebody said, you know, she was trying to take a stand and all of that, but, but um, you've got to remember the whole of her history. I mean, the reality is the Republican Party is going circling the drain. Unfortunately, they're not, but they're trying to, the, the far 
far right, which is not even close to right, is um, trying to take her down. But the reality is she's been part of a problem too. I mean, anyone who continues to call themselves a Republican is part of the problem right now. So you mean to tell me that Liz Cheney, who was one of the only Republicans to say that what happened, didn't didn't, didn't she stand against the attack on January the 6th? She has been the only, one of the few consistent people who continue to stand yes. against it. Yes. Even though many others have went and, yes. and now pledged their allegiance back to Donald Trump. So like Liz Cheney yep. is sitting there saying this thing that happened on January the 6th is wrong. Now, I don't agree with anything else about her political platform, but she is the only Republican with a fucking backbone. And you mean to tell me the Republicans who initially, like y'all are saying, were all about, this was so wrong, this was an attack on our democracy, we shouldn't never let this happen again. Now, they are still co-signing with Trump because they're that afraid of losing seats in 2022. Their gerrymandering is not enough them fucking over the electorate is not enough. They also now have to chastise and demote a woman from her rightfully earned seat because she wouldn't support the foolery? And the woman that they're considering replacing her with, Stefanik. Elise Stefanik. She's from New York. When they compared the voting records of these two folks, um, Stefanik rated like a 30-something percent in terms of being a conservative voter, while Liz Cheney was up somewhere like 70 or 80 percent. So when you look at what are actual conservative values, Liz Cheney has consistently been a true conservative. And so this shows you the hold that Trump has on the party. That's why I'm like, I actually think it's more about power than it is about money right now. And I really believe that somebody with the name Trump is going to be on the ticket in 2024. I don't think this is just about the Republicans. This is also about the Democrats. Mm -hmm. I think what we're seeing is a splintering of both political parties. Joe Biden ran as a moderate for all intents and purposes. He ran middle of the road, Scranton Joe, even though it's one of the most progressive platforms Platform-wise, it's highly progressive. The most progressive Democratic platform ever. But in terms of how he presented that to America, he was just like, ah, this is this, this is just, we should do this. Duh. I'm a straight white man, trust me. What we may see is people like Liz Cheney now becoming Democrats. Hmm. Now caucusing with Democrats. And so I'm curious what that does to the identity of the Democratic Party. Is it possible for Democrats to sustain this notion that very progressive platforms are actually just middle-of-the-road politics if people like Liz Cheney have to join and caucus with the party? Well, that's not going to happen, first of all, because folks like Liz Cheney will no longer be in government. Um you know, where is she? Um, Wisconsin, right? Or Wyoming? Wyoming. I'm sorry. I know. I know civics, but uh, yeah, I didn't know that shit. Uh, so she's in Wyoming. She's the only. She's the only representative in Wyoming because of their population. So when she's ousted from leadership, she will most likely also lose her next election if she decides to run again. And so if she does caucus with Democrats, it would be for a very short term. And if she does caucus with Democrats, she's absolutely going to be out of a job come the next election. Well, I really don't give a fuck beyond 2022. I know, but I'm saying what I'm saying is I don't think that's a fear of the Republican base because they know that that's 
political and um, career suicide for anyone who considers themselves a Republican, even a moderate Republican, to go and caucus with Democrats. It's like you're doing our work for us. Touche. Speaking of junkies, Matthew McConaughey is considering to run for governor of Texas. Do not do that. If Caitlyn Jenner can run, Matthew McConaughey can run. I don't think Matthew McConaughey should run, and I don't think Caitlyn Jenner should run. We have a bunch of actors who know nothing about politics running. Apparently, Matthew McConaughey is leading the current governor in a poll right now, which is ridiculous. If nothing else we've learned, it doesn't actually matter who the person is in the top seat. It only matters their political affiliation. If he's running as a Democrat, is he running as a Democrat or Republican? He's running as a Democrat. That would actually give the Democrats a fighting chance for winning Texas, and that might result in some down-ballot wins. Name recognition is all that matters. Politics has always been a show. It's always (laughs) been... always been a charade and so like who better than matthew mcconaughey he spent his whole life acting he's so well positioned to be a politician because they're all acting let's take a quick break so i can sing for the people quit looking like that sam okay i'm singing for me whatever The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? I will wait on you till I die. I will wait on you. Welcome back from that quick break. It is now time for the word of pod for the people of pod. Thanks be to pod. That's it. And today we're discussing the Amazon Prime series, Them. Them is created by Little Marvin. This is the first time that I have ever heard of Little Marvin. <laughs> now it's like, so it's Little Marvin and not Lil Marvin. I mean, I don't know this man. I, I His, like Lil Nas X is spelled L-I-L Nas X. This man's name is literally L-I-T-T-L-E. So I I would assume that his cousin and them, his cousins and them call him Lil Marvin, but the internet has his name as Little Marvin. <laughs> so Little Marvin is the creator. Little Marvin is a black man. And he's teamed up with people like Lena Waithe, who I love. If you don't know Lena Waithe, what rock are you living under? And it kind of puts you in the mindset of Jordan Peele's Get Out that was such a like hit thriller so many years ago for how it kind of carefully threaded this needle that was horror, but also social commentary about Black people in our daily lives. People have also tried to liken it to Lovecraft Country, who Jordan Peele was also involved with. But for some reason, there's something about this particular series that's resulted in mixed reviews. I read one piece online from Vulture that's called it degradation porn. I don't know if I agree, but I will say that there was something about this particular show that felt distinctively different from Get Out and Us. Before this series was released on Amazon Prime, people were likening the previews, at least, to Jordan Peele's Get Out or to Lovecraft Country, with which Jordan Peele was also involved. But once it was released... The reviews were a little bit mixed. I read one piece from Vulture that said that it was the equivalent of revenge porn or degradation porn, rather. 
And I don't know if I quite agree, but I think that perspective isn't a minority perspective per se. So we both watched it. I was more so trying to figure out if the white woman ever got past the dog dying. I watched the first two shows of them. And the reality is I can't stand horror movies, any any kind of horror movie that that exists. And so that's the part that takes me away from things. Some people might think that I can't watch the horrors of what happens to Black people. What I will say is that the part I could watch, the part where I was drawn in is when the child is in her class and, and, um, and answers the question and the people are horrible. And she gets out, sent out of the room for distracting class. That I was like, I want to watch this show, but I can't deal with the spiritual stuff that happens around it. What I noticed is that Get Out, Us, and Them all all have this supernatural component. And I wonder if that is because the shows are not only talking about the horrors that are happening to black and brown people, but that it's also embodying the white supremacy that we can't see but is ultimately there. So I think, Katie, to your point, one of the things that I'm aware of is when I watch this stuff, I don't count it as horror. Like, when I watched Get Out, I left like, okay, that's not horror. When I left watching uh, Us, I was like, that didn't feel like horror. Like, the only horror movies that I've ever been able to watch, and by been able to, I mean was forced to watch, people told me they were coming to my house to celebrate my birthday, and they locked me in and boxed me in and turned on The Ring of all the movies. Was it The Ring or was it Saw? It was Saw. It was Saw. That, that's worse. Which one had the girl climbing at the TV? That was The Ring. So that was, was the, the Ring. We watched that one first and then there was the little, uh, the little clown on the bicycle. He would like lock him in places and then make him play a tape recorder and he would be like, you gotta get out in this amount of time or you gonna die. Saw and The Ring, I don't understand why people watch horror movies. But there was something about Get Out, Us and Them that didn't feel like it fit into that sort of classic, if you will, or traditional definition of a horror film. It all just felt too real to me. Now, I will say with them, it feels like it gets much closer to something that I would identify as a traditional horror film. It's still not The Ring, and it's still not Saw, because I would say if there was a continuum, Get Out and Us are over here on the left side of the continuum of doing like progressive, new, captivating ways of portraying traumas of Black people that would still be called horror. Right. And then I would say that them gets closer to sort of the classic pattern of a horror film in that it's like gory and it's challenging and it's terrifying. I think it only gets to the classic construction of horror films in the spooky, ghostly figures. But I think the other stuff is black trauma that we have experienced generationally throughout this history. And I was thinking the other day, could you imagine if Twitter was a thing, if Instagram was a thing, if TikTok was a thing 200 years ago, we don't even know the real horrors 
of black experience through these times. These folks are being creative. They're using creative license to go gory and some people can't deal with that. And it pales in comparison to the reality of what black people dealt with during these times. And so it's a, to me, I'm with you, Brandon, in the sense that it doesn't feel like a horror movie to me, except for you got this guy with a hat, shadowy figure, you know, who's a ghost or whatever he is, you know. And I appreciate that the creative license that the, the, the creators of this show took to do those things. But um, this real life, if you ask me. Well, so let's rewind a little bit. We took a dive straight into the content. If you have not seen Them, Them is about a black family that moves to an all-white neighborhood in LA. I think it's supposed to be Compton in like the 1950s. And there are all of these violent forces that come to attack them, threaten them, taunt them, and destroy their family. What the twist is, though is it's both their next-door neighbors and there are these otherworldly spiritual sources, I think, that scare Katie a whole lot um, (laughs) that also come to torment them. What we come to realize as the story progresses, I believe it's actually episode nine, is that the otherworldly forces are actually just more white people. (laughs) It's otherworldly whiteness. It's supernatural whiteness coming to taunt and torment this black family. So I think part of what that vulture piece that called it degradation porn, I think the way in which that's accurate is if you put them up next to Lovecraft Country, there doesn't seem to be a way for these folks to escape the whiteness. In the supernatural realm, it has enshrined them. In the non-supernatural realm, it has also enshrined them. It surrounded them. Whereas in a series like Lovecraft Country, you see the ancestors making war on behalf of Black people in the supernatural otherworldly realm. I read a piece recently about Marvel Comics and DC Comics and how all of those superhero movies are designed to make us more complacent and make us accept the way things are. And that what sci-fi tends to do is invite us to imagine the world otherwise. And I think that's something that Lovecraft Country does. It invites us to imagine the world otherwise and to say, what if we did have these kind of superpowers and abilities and, and the sort of gifts that would allow us to relate to our ancestors across time and space? What kind of world would be possible? And I think them is like, yeah, ain't none of that shit possible. Yeah, wait, 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 though. Um, if I'm, I'm trying to remember the last episodes. It's been a while since I watched this. But isn't the guy who is the shadowy hat wearing figure who's like the equivalent to the devil for black people, isn't he like defeated in the last episode? Like, isn't he burned? Like, and all of that that he represents um, goes up in flames in the last episode? I think that's episode nine. So I think episode nine is where all the shit he represents goes up in flame. And he's a pastor. He's a minister. He right. talks about G. I mean, he's... Tell me, that shit ain't accurate. I mean, it's so accurate. <laughs> and so in episode nine, we see how he becomes a ghost. But I don't know if I would say that he's defeated. I'm not certain that that's crystal clear by the end of this season. I think that that's still to be determined. You're missing something. You're saying that's how he becomes a ghost. But I'm saying... But in the same way that you talk about Lovecraft Country and the way they kind of ancestors kind of gathered, there was this moment in that last episode. I might have to go back and rewatch where we we see how he becomes a ghost, but we also see how he had set out to torment 
this black family in Compton, mm-hmm. among others. And and something happens in that episode where he kind of is brought down to a certain extent. I need to go back and watch. I probably should have watched this last episode before we started, but because I can't quite remember. I mean, all I'm recalling about the last episode is that Lucky, who's the female black lead, ends up in a mental institution. That's where she ends up. But she also comes out of that mental institution and goes back to the house. Then when the white people are surrounding the house, uh-huh. um, remember? And mm-hmm. I remember she shows up. She's like in the middle of the street because they're trying to kill the husband and the kids yeah. at this point. Yeah. And she shows up. She goes in the house, slams the door, and there's like this huge line of fire that separates the house from all of the white people who are trying to get to them. Yeah. And it's like, like, and again, I can't remember every single thing. She does end up in the mental institution but something happens in in that season now where lucky kind of arises um as this kind of i don't know the i don't know which words i can use here like this champion or this you know um protagonist for the black folks who who really goes to bat with this with whiteness in that moment as well as this spirit I'm going to have to go back and watch. I'm going to have to go back and watch too. But I think to Katie's point, like I think that's part of why I appreciate it is I don't think that they spell anything out explicitly. Yeah. I think that there's a lot that's left open to interpretation. There are moments where we think that this ghost of white supremacy is just a manifestation of their own consciousness. Like there are, there's these playful things that uh, Lil Marvin does where you're trying to figure out, did Lucky do this to her children? Like is Lucky imagining this sort of ghost in the black hat? Like, is this person coming into her thoughts? Is is she being inhabited, possessed by this ghost and doing this damage to her own children? I mean, there's this playful scene and, and, and it truly is playful and I don't know if I would call it irreverent, but there's a playful scene where Anika Noni Rose plays another black woman in the white neighborhood where she lives mm-hmm. and Anika Noni Rose kills her own children. And we don't know if this is... Puts them in the oven. Puts them in the oven. In the same show? Oh, yeah, Katie. You got to keep watching. She's trying to bleach their skin. Like, she's doing oh so much. And she's sitting there. And uh, and uh, the character, Lucky, is trying to talk to her to figure out how have you made it in this white context so long. And she's like, oh, it's not that bad. It's and you find out that she's bleaching and baking her children. <laughs> <laughs> it's starting to come back to me though. Um, remember the the man in the 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 hat? He's actually not the devil. There's kind of like this childlike uh person that he's kind of doing his bidding for. And he's actually made uh an agreement with the devil to get these souls almost, so yeah. to speak. Um, and toward the end of this episode, he fails to get the soul of yes. Lucky and those and that family. And so the devil kind of calls him and says, uh, nah, you messed up. Um, and so in, in that, it kind of shows the resilience of Lucky and that black family is that the devil couldn't take them. The devil couldn't take their souls. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's still a lot more to be, to, that's going to unfold in the next seasons of this, but you do see a little bit of that. And that's what, when you were talking about how that wasn't present, I was like, no, I don't, I don't remember that. I remember there was something there where the, the black people kind of prevailed. But, but I think that's the point. We have to endure 10 episodes of so much violence to get to five minutes in the end where Lucky escapes the insane asylum and this burst of flames that I imagine is born out of or from within Lucky surrounds them and thwarts this white ghost's attempt to take their souls. 
I think a lot of people get really stuck in a scene where uh, there's this white family that antagonizes Lucky and her family prior to their move to Compton, and they literally kill her baby, her infant. They put the baby in a pillowcase and they start to chant cat in the bag, cat in the bag, cat in the bag. There's a white man and a white woman who are tossing the baby back and forth as if the baby is a toy. And then there's a white man that is literally raping Lucky as she watches them tossing her baby around in a pillowcase, yelling cat in the bag as if it is a game. So that's a scene that I think a lot of people have come to criticize and say that this is just degradation porn. And I think that's the tension, Sam. There's this five-minute moment in the end where it's like, okay, maybe they're victorious, but they had to go through all of this in order to get there. Now, the challenge for me is, now, I don't call this shit degradation porn. I think it's art imitating life. Me too. Because the moments that feel victorious, the moments that Black people feel like we've won something, Like, those moments are so fleeting, and they're so few, and they're so far between. And the traumatic moments, the harmful moments are so much more. We had Black people literally celebrating the fact that Derek Chauvin was convicted of a little bit of a murder and is going to get a little bit of time in prison. And I know that some of y'all wrote in to say a little bit is not, this could be 40 years. We'll see. We still don't know. But because of how fleeting these victorious moments are, We sit here and we celebrate at the altar of white supremacy Mm -hmm. and at the altar of the American so-called justice system. So there's a way that I think them captures that. Our lives are literally nine and a half, nine and three quarter, nine and seven eighth episodes of trauma, hurt, pain, feeling like there is no fucking escape, feeling like the evil is going to win. Feeling like the malevolent structures, society, the people, the neighborhood are going to consume us. Oh hell! And then we get, and, and then we, and then in order for us to have a moment that feels like we can live, and in order to have a moment that feels like we've won, somebody gotta die. Katie, you remember the episode when Brandon was going through shit and he started crying because we wouldn't yeah. stop him from yeah. talking. I'm gonna stop yeah. him from talking I'm right about now. To cry today. I got my bourbon. <laughs> What I say? What I say in the uh, episode? Uh, leave us alone. He was. He was in. I think his, he said, "Leave me the fuck alone." Yeah, he was. We want to be left. We just want to be left alone. alone. That's what. Right, that's right, what it was. Right. This is good. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back to continue the conversation. That is not your line. Let's take a quick break. Really? We'll be right back really? to forget. <laughs> I'm tired of you. Why you always get to announce the break? I want to announce the break. Well, announce the break then, damn it. I'm done. I did all I got. That's it. This is going to be a fun episode for Katie to edit. If the conversation has made no sense whatsoever, it's because Katie did not do a good job editing. (laughs) (laughs) Asshole. Since you didn't watch the show, you got to edit this one. (laughs) Figure out how to make it make sense. Sometimes I feel some kind of way when I hear people, and oftentimes it's black people. And I don't know how to feel because I feel like people should be able to process and deal with things their own way, right? But when I hear people say, you know, we don't need any more slave movies. 
We don't need any more movies like 12 Years a Slave, which is based on a true story, actually. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, it, 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 it is movies that are based on reality that I hear people say this about. And I'm like, no, we need a thousand more. We, mean, we need a million more. We need to tell every story. If we come across another story as gruesome and as crazy as it is, we need to tell it. We need to tell it vividly. We need to tell it with all the details we can. We need to make it come alive. Think about Mamie Lewis Teal, the mother of Emmett Teal, mm-hmm. who was killed in Mississippi mm-hmm. when three white men went to his uncle Mose Wright's house in the middle of the night. He was 12, I think, 12 years old, um, and took him because he whistled or made a comment at a white woman allegedly. who was leaving a candy store, allegedly, because she actually, because she actually since has recanted and said he didn't. They took him and shot him in his head and tied a cotton gin around his neck and threw him in the Tallahatchie River. I'm sorry. I'm confused. Are you trying to make me not go there again? Are you trying to make me not go off again? So, (laughs) so, wait, 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 wait. Uh, uh, Shit. and, And when Mamie Lewis Teal had to identify her son's body, she could only do so by a ring that was on his finger because his body was so badly disfigured. And when she was planning for his funeral, she insisted on an open casket because she said, I want the world to see what they did to my baby. For me, when we tell these stories, it is the continual and and again, I know it may it, for some people it may cause trauma and I and I, and I do think that that's unfortunate. And I hope that people are able to manage their own levels of trauma appropriately and don't go watch these films if it's going to do something to them. But um because so many of these stories will never be told, as many as we discover, we must tell it. And if we must get creative in our telling, we must tell it. And I'll always have that position. So I think what them gives voice to is the fact that it's not just Mamie Teal. It's not just George Floyd. It's not just Breonna Taylor. There's a way in which what America has tried to train our brains to do is to exceptionalize these deaths and -hmm. these types of violence so that the everyday violence and the subtle violence we experience is not bad, it's not violent, it's normal. These are normal, nice white people harassing you in your neighborhood. And them takes what people try to call ordinary, what people try to call normal, and it makes it vicious. It makes it nasty. It makes it hateful. And there's truth there. Like, it's literally the entire white neighborhood coming and surrounding this black family's house who isn't bothering anybody. And they are literally, they're they're burning nigger in their lawn. Mm -hmm. And they're hanging black baby dolls around their yard. It's horrific. And the white woman who lives directly across the street from them literally comes outside and says, I don't understand why they won't leave. I've asked them nicely. This is after they've done one of the most nasty things. I mean, things that actually happened historically that no longer happen today and so I love the way that it actually brings history into question because it suspends all of our realities. Like the black man goes to work, right? The black mm-hmm. man goes to work and endures horrors at work. 
Things that mm-hmm. still to this day in 2021 we call normal. Every time a black person gets an email that's designed to document something that actually didn't happen, that's the same kind of atrocities that people experienced in the 50s. It's just another name for Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. It's Jane Crow now. And that's yep. the, it's the scene that you mentioned earlier, Katie, where the black young woman is sitting in a classroom and clearly all of these white folks around her have no clue what the teacher is talking about. She gives the correct answer and all of her white peers start to make monkey noises around her. And the teacher, because of the white people's conduct and the white people's reaction to her being intelligent, her playing by mm-hmm. their rules, her learning their history, Punishes her. And says she was being a disruption to the class, a distraction to the class. So all of that shit is violent as fuck. It's violent. And it still happens when when schools tell our black children that they need to cut their hair or wear it a certain way because it's distracting. Or they distracting. just go ahead and cut or it. Or they just go ahead and cut it. That's, that's, that's super violent. What that's, you mean that's schools? Pretty, you know, and, that's, and places of employment. And, and places of employment. Yep. It's the same thing. And they, say, and, and they say it's just our policy. Our policy says that people's hair can't be this texture and this length. And they put it in a handbook as if that's not racist. Hmm. They then and then when you call folks, I think every black person in the world has experienced this. There's been piece after piece about black people at Google. There's a podcast called Land of the Giants, and it talked about how Google has uh, so many issues with black people. And it had black people offering testimony as to how they would try to call them out on their values of inclusivity, their values for diversity, their values for equity. And when they called them out, the response wasn't, yeah, we got to do better. They created a policy that protected them and allowed them hmm. to inculcate the racism. That's violence. That's, and, I, and, I, and I think that's why people's reactions are so strong to this show, because it's like it's degradation porn. No, baby, this is your everyday life. And I think the issue is, and we're talking about mental health still. It is still Mental Health Awareness Month. We're going to make a turn in just one second. But the reality is seeing our daily lives depicted back to us in such blatantly violent images is too hard to accept and name. So even we as Black people critique it. I mean, I think that that scene um, of Ruby, I think that's her name, the teenager who um, is in the classroom and, and gets taken out because she was a distraction when they were all making sounds of a monkey. Like, it's that scene that that makes me go, I need to watch this because, like, that scene and listening to you all talk about the horror because, like, one of the things I do is not look away. And yet I can't, I can't watch the show and yet, what I know is that I'm missing something by not seeing it. And so, I, that's where my wrestling comes in because I hear, I hear that. I mean, when you're like, I don't even see this as, as a horror film. I'm like, oh my God. Like, I, I can't even conceptualize that. And I, and I understand that that m- makes me obviously a white woman. But like, the, the depth of it is is horrific, not in a Jason kind of horror movie, but this is horrific that this is real life. And what's funny, Katie, is that is, I, I actually believe this podcast is the inverse, <laughs> right? 
not not in that we're doing violence to you, but I'm thinking about the listeners, particularly black folks who have wrote mm-hmm. in, called in, texted in, done a lot of different kind of ends to say, y'all are so hard on Katie. Right. Why y'all do that to Katie? And I think that's because there still are assumptions about how black and white folks are supposed to relate to one another, especially black women, black men and white women. And so there's a way in which every Monday when y'all are listening to this fucking podcast, we're creating a different reality using audio because we refuse to play by those rules and to accept those social norms as reality. And it's not that Sam and I are doing violence to Katie. Some of y'all have tried to claim that, but Katie says she don't feel like she's been, and and this ain't no Stockholm syndrome either. (laughs) I'm just saying there's a way in which I think as you're sitting there looking at them or you're listening to this podcast, whatever is coming up for you, as opposed to turning that thing outward, turn your eye inward and figure out why it is these things make you uncomfortable. There is a chance that they match your reality. Let me just um go back and say, in, in me saying that I, I don't see this as a horror genre, it's only in the sense of, like Brandon mentioned, deceased uh, little girls crawling out of whales and through the TV or people wearing masks or uh, something like the, the, the movie 13 Ghosts with these, you know, like this horror that's depicted in terms that, that Brandon mentioned, like otherworldly, you know, that's that's... That's totally, totally different. It's absolutely the most horrific thing in terms of the experience of black folks. And if that was the barometer, if that was the measure we were using to to determine levels of of horror films or horror or the horror genre, then there are so many more that would be, you know, uh, uh, the ring would be a, a one on a scale to 10. You know, things like 12 Years a Slave, things like um, so many other biopics and and real stories of things that have happened in history would be the most horrific thing that you could ever watch. Um, And so in the sense that when I'm talking about the traditional way that we think of horror, I don't I don't I don't I don't necessarily see it as that. You know, I wouldn't compare it to the ring. It's a totally different. Right. Because it's real. Because it's real. Okay, that's a wrap on part one of this conversation. We will be back next week with part two and a few invitations for all of you. In lieu of an official invitation today, I invite you to like, rate, and review this podcast. I also invite you to send your favorite episode to a real life friend or tell your fake social media friends about us on IG, Twitter, or Facebook using the hashtag the holy shit pod and as always you can email us at holy shit at theolapmedia.com if you have questions or comments until next week be easy fam peace you know when your podcast is called the holy shit pod it's going to inevitably result in you saying the word shit a lot more than you probably intend and i really didn't need any help (laughs) (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.